they see me somewhere or they see the brand and they're like, oh, I've heard of this and I've tried it. And I'm always fascinated. I'm like, really? How? Where did you hear it? How do you know about it? And it gets me excited every single time. And, you know, I don't know that that would ever wear off. You're listening to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. This show was created for entrepreneurs, business owners, marketers, and dreamers who want to learn from the experts of today and drastically shortcut their own success to build a business that supports their dream lifestyle. Since 2011, Tyler Jorgensen has been interviewing business thought leaders from around the world. A serial entrepreneur himself, Tyler also shares his personal insights into what's working in business today. Welcome to Biz Ninja entrepreneur radio welcome out to biz ninja entrepreneur radio i am your host tyler jorgensen and today we have mara smith who is a founder of a really cool spirits brand called inspiro tequila um and i know a little bit of the story about how she wanted to have a uh, a gluten-free spirit and wanted it to fit into her active lifestyle but i'm excited to learn about how you got here and how you decided to, uh, instead of just going to the store and buying one, why you decided to build one and create a brand of your own. So welcome out to the show, Mara. It's great to have you. Thanks. So nice to be here. So I, I like to start with this question. When was the moment that you first realized that you were an entrepreneur? So I think that came to me um, much later in life, to be honest. Um, I, I don't think I was very risk tolerant when I was younger. I, I probably just want to... As a young girl, um, my dream job was that I wanted to be a Supreme Court justice. So there's nothing more secure and stable as a position that you have for life. So I think I went a very like linear path. Uh, I studied accounting. I went straight to law school. I worked a really large law firm. Um, before that, I had worked at a really large accounting firm. Then I went to a Fortune 500 company. Um, so Actually, it wasn't until I was um, at working at McDonald's Corporation Corporate Strategy um, after my law career that um, I kind of started getting that like entrepreneurial bug um, and thinking of like concepts and businesses that would be interesting to me um, as part of a, a group there. And we were studying like consumer trends and customer insights and ideating and kind of coming up with new concepts um, for the company. And I found the whole like ideation process really fascinating. So that's where I started thinking like, oh, maybe I want to start my own company. I actually at the time looked into uh, starting a, a, an ice cream franchise, like a chain of a fr an ice cream yeah. franchise, not the best uh, locale, Chicago. Right. So that kind of idea got scratched. But and then, you know, what happened there is my corporate kind of career came to a screeching halt because I became pregnant with my twins and was put on emergency bed rest. So that kind of like ended that whole part of my career. And the the biggest pivot of my my life that I never expected was that I made the decision to stay home because I had preemie twins. Um, so I think it took me many, many years until I was ready to, you know, re-enter the workforce and start something on my own. But um I think that's kind of where I started thinking as an entrepreneur and like, how can I do things better? What can I do to improve on something? You know, how can I start my own company? But I think it required me being a little more risk tolerant and that being coming later in my life. And I did not start this like out of my dorm room. Right. So. <laughs> right. Oh. You know, and it's interesting. We have, um, you know, we've interviewed several hundred entrepreneurs through the years and 
and in my experience, there's there's really two types, right? There's the people who, like you, had a, had a successful career and now are able to apply a lot of the different things they learned and kind of have a shorter learning curve because you're only filling in the gaps of what you didn't know. And then you have the people early on that are like, like me, I was five years old and I was like, oh, I create my own opportunities. I never just, I never saw the corporate path as a path for me. It's just not how my brain worked. And uh, there's not a lot in between. I feel like it's either the early stage, like that that's just who they were. And then, or the people who are like, hey, I think I can do this. This would be really neat. So you have twins, you're kind of like, okay, I'm going to do something. You go through a few different ideas. How did you settle on the idea to get into the spirits world? Because there is some extra complexities there compared to some other types of businesses. Yes. Uh, Unbeknownst to me. um, Yes. The (laughs) compliance issues with spirits and the fact that the the laws are the ones um, from 1933 post-prohibition and um, every state operates completely independently with their own set of laws, like dealing with, you know, 50 different countries. So I did not know that when I started this. Um, Luckily, having a legal background, as you said, there are things that you can apply and and that piece of it, being able to like wrap my head around that pretty quickly and and get up to speed, that was really helpful that I had that background. But so I've been thinking of ideas. I, I probably just, you know, watched too much Shark Tank and listened to my founder stories um, and always found them really inspirational, um, how people got started. And I actually, I knew I wanted to be a product. So I'm just a consumer product person. I'm actually like a really good consumer of consumer products. I love sure. taste testing and trying things. Um, and I actually thought of... A, I was thinking about another idea and it just wasn't really resonating with me. And I kept coming back to tequila. So I've been a tequila drinker for years. It became my kind of clean spirit option. Um, I didn't like things that had a lot of sugar. I didn't feel good the next day. So I started drinking tequila. What I was just learning is so many women were telling me that they're tequila drinkers and that's their drink of choice. So really, I just saw um, an opportunity. I was walking down the aisles at the local liquor stores looking for bottles that I thought like resonated with me looking for brands that like kind of spoke to a consumer, a thoughtful female consumer like me using, you know, scantily clad women and dark club scenes just did not resonate with me as yeah. a consumer. Um, and I just really, I thought here's a market opportunity. Women drink a lot of tequila and I couldn't understand why brands were not focused on this consumer. She just generally overlooked in the spirits world. Um, and she makes 80% of the purchasing decisions is the main entertainer of the home. And as I started researching the category, discovered she makes up 50% of tequila consumers. So I just thought, okay, there's someone, you know, there's a consumer here who is just overlooked and no one's really speaking to her. And can we do that? And who better to speak to her than someone who is her? Like I am that thoughtful consumer who cares about what she eats and drinks and the brands she supports. Um, and also this was a re-entry into the workforce after being out for many years. So for me, if I was going to do that, I wanted, I wanted to be in an area where I can make an impact. So spirits, just like many industries, you know, women are very underrepresented. And I thought here was an opportunity to bring just another female perspective and to have women involved in every part of our process from our master distiller in Mexico to operations, sales, marketing, that we could just bring another female voice, um, to the industry. I love that. And so for you, um, you 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 came up with this idea after seeing that really there wasn't a brand that really spoke to you and the type of consumer that you were in your demographic. And so you're like, I'll build it. I'll create it myself. What was the first major hurdle that you faced? And then how'd you overcome it? 
Um, lots of major hurdles. Yeah. Uh, and there will continue to be many more. Sure. So I'd say the first thing was I had the impeccable timing of starting this company in February of 2020. Hmm. So then the entire world shut down right when that happened. Uh, so I couldn't get to Mexico for production. I couldn't get to Mexico to find a distillery, to interview master distillers. Um, I knew I wanted a female master distiller. I had read a book on all the women in tequila. It's a really small book and narrowed it down. So I had to find consultants down there to be like my eyes and ears to do virtual tours of distilleries. Um, I found the master distiller I really wanted. I had to get find you know have them connect with her um, to get her on board. So it's really just a matter of trying to do that all virtually without being there. And in fact, I couldn't be there for our entire first production run. And that was another huge hurdle because um, they finished the run. They sent me samples. I was so excited. I've been like awaiting these samples for so long. They sent me samples. I tried it and I like had a total, I had a pretty much a meltdown because I didn't like it. And I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? I don't like it. And, um, and it was recommended, well, maybe we take this batch and we mix it with the next batch. I'm like, mm-hmm. to me, that's like taking something not good and something really good and getting something mediocre. Mm-hmm. So I actually decided to, to scrap the entire run, um, which set us back like six months. Yeah. Um, but, and cause we had to start over again. That's but, a bit, um, that was probably a hard decision to stay that true to your desire for quality and taste instead of just like, well, I guess we got, this is what we have. I guess we got to try to sell it, you know? Right. I have to love it. Like I, I'm just really transparent and in everything. I mean, there've been drinks that people wanted me to mix with like another brand and I taste tested and I didn't like it and I I wouldn't do it. So um, I had to love it. There's no way I'm not a natural salesperson. I, you know, came from an accounting background, right. law. And so for me to really be out there and talking about it and and selling it and believing in it, um, it has to be something I really love. And so, and quality. I'm just all about quality. I mean, I took months and months to come up with like our bottle design. I wanted a unique custom bottle, even though everyone said, just find a stock bottle and you know, make it pretty, but I'm like, no, I really want this custom design bottle that I didn't realize how difficult it was to, you know, paint in a gradient. <laughs> um, and so just, if I was going to do something, it has to be like done really thoughtfully, meticulously, and the quality inside the bottle has to match the outside of the bottle for me. Yeah. So you stayed, even though you were faced with um, production challenges, quality challenges, uh, manufacturing challenges, figuring out the bottle, you you stayed true to your vision of what you wanted the quality inside and outside to be. Um, that had to be a challenge, especially when you're you're bootstrapping and you're you know this is time and money that happens to go into each of these things. Um, now on this show, we talk a lot about work life balance and. Recently, the conversation has been around a lot more about work-life blend, right? A balance is almost an impossible thing. How do you um, blend and how do you manage being a mother of three, being a founder uh, and manage all the parts of your life? Yes. I'm not sure I manage it that well. And I agree. No (laughs) such thing as balance. I actually just posted on LinkedIn. I think it was last week how like blend makes a lot more sense to me than balance because I, I 
don't know that I believe in balance and I'm definitely not good at balance. I, I hope that every day I get one thing done really well and a lot of other things and a lot of other balls are going to drop and you can't get everything, you know, I, I can't split my focus between so many parts of my life on any given day. But, you know, what I try to do is if I met my son's basketball team, basketball tournament, like that's my focus right then. And if that's work that has to get done when I'm in work mode, I'm completely um, focused. I'm, I'm, that's kind of, I feel like a quality that I have is I can be like all in and totally in the zone and getting things done and not easily distracted. So that's kind of what I try and do. That makes and sense. I recognize there's just lots of p- different pieces to our life. Um, unfortunately, the piece that probably falls at the bottom of the list on most days um, is anything that's, you know, related something for me. <laughs> so sure. those are the things that kind of fall. Everybody else's needs. I try and meet as best as possible. I probably am too far down on the list. Most days. that happens, and and hopefully, you know, at least when it comes to like the higher needs, right? Those are at least getting taken care of. But I think entrepreneurs struggle with that in general, um, because you're wearing so many hats, and then you still have your your non work hats that you have to wear, right? Get, taking care of yourself can fall really low on the list, and and that's um, something I think all entrepreneurs and all founders and CEOs have to be continually reminding themselves is it's okay to prioritize yourself and take care of yourself. Um, even if that means the one thing, I love that idea that you said every day, uh, get one thing done really well. Some days that one thing might be self-care, right? And that's, um, it's a challenge to take because that's not the type of checklist we're used to doing, right? It's like, no, I wanted to, you know, make a big decision on branding or make a big decision on manufacturing or, you know, production. Um, but so what, as you started going and got this momentum in the business, when did you first realize, Hey, there's something here, this might actually take off. Cause I know you started in a very tough time and then you went right into some manufacturing challenges. When was the first time you're like, okay, this is going to work. You know what? I think when I, um, found that retailers were receptive, once I saw that like retail and, and retail chains thought, wow, this is a really great looking battle. And they like the quality of the juice and the story and the authenticity behind it. And love that there was an option of a, you know, woman owned brand. Cause they are, you know, really looking for diversity yeah. on the shelves. Um, I think that's where I, I thought, Oh, okay. This really could, you know, this could be something because there are people who, you know, especially at that level, bring it in because that's our, you know, focus is really selling through retailers. Um, I think the other thing, and and I hope this never gets old for me, honestly, is when I hear people, they see me somewhere or they see the brand and they're like, oh, I've heard of this and I've tried it. And I'm always fascinated. I'm like, really? How? Where did you hear it? How do you know about it? And it gets me excited every single time. And you know, I don't know that that would ever wear off. <laughs> I don't think it will, especially because it's like when it's not someone that heard it from you, right? Yes. It's like, oh yeah, you're my friend. Of course, you know what I'm doing, right? It's someone that you run into and they're like, oh, I know that brand. They had it at the the bar I was at with the girls night out the other night, or it was, oh, they this was at a, a wedding that I was just at. Like, it's really neat to see your product in the wild. Um, who was one of your first retailers that, that said yes and gave you a shot? Um, well, actually here, um, Binnie's, which for in Illinois is the, you know, most major, um, independent 
liquor chain. Um, and that was really huge because that's a big hurdle. Getting in is a really big hurdle and staying in is even harder. So yep. you have to sell through. Um, my head of sales actually is a really good kind of assessment that it's, you know, 25% of the work is getting on the shelves and 75% is is making sure you pull through to stay on the shelves. Yep. Um, and so the fact that um, we're there and they're adding more stores, um, that awesome. to me is... A- what did, what did you, you and your company do to ensure that once you got in there, you actually were able to sell through? Did you guys have any creative marketing or any strategies or was the goal just, hey, we trust that the story and the product is going to do the work? I think it takes a lot. I think there are a number of things. You know, I spent a lot of time um, not only going to my local store, but I went to like 10 different stores in two days to do staff education, making sure they understand. So that's an independent liquor store where people go in because they run recommendations and they trust the staff to be knowledgeable and know things. And you see a lot of people like, you know, bewildered in the tequila aisle, not knowing like what to grab. So for me going and educating the staff at as many stores as I could to tell them about the the brand, the product, the story, why it's unique that we're confirmed additive free when 90% of tequila brands use additives and how we created our taste profiles without using additives, like really educating them. I think that was one piece of it. I think having um, anything you could do to relay the story at the point of sale. So we added like little bottleneckers onto our bottles that talk about, you know, that were certified women owned, that were confirmed additive free, our awards, like anything that customers can get as much information right there at the shelf. Um, and then I think we're doing things a little bit differently than a, maybe a typical spirits brand um, in a couple ways. One is that we use digital and we use digital to support retailers a lot. So if I'm a huge brand, I can't really do that. There's just too many retailers out there. Yep. For us, because we're small, we can have, you know, local influencers go and do a run through some of our local stores here, like different, you know, retail chains. Um, We can post things. We can do um, email that's targeted by locale that promotes stocking up and giving different retailer options that we're in. So we can do a lot to support them um, digitally. Um, as well as events. I mean, I do a lot of events and I think I try and find events where we stand out because they're a little bit different. Like it's not music festivals, not tequila festivals, not spirits festivals. It's more like getting in front of the women that we want to speak to. It's me speaking to the women in law coalition and telling about the brand and having it resonate with them, getting them to try a cocktail and then letting them know where they can purchase. So I think getting in front of those kind of different groups, especially those bigger like women's networks that I'm very involved in. Yeah. Um, I think that's also something unique and an opportunity that I can, something I can do because it's, it's me and because it's a small independent brand and because I'm really the person behind the brand. So, right. so what's one piece of advice that you would give someone who's considering starting a consumer, a consumable product business uh, if they're getting into it, you know, post-career and they, they want to start something what would you tell them? I actually have two things that I think. All right, been I love it. Well, I'll accept two. Two is okay. Yes. <laughs> First is that there's no getting around doing the hard work. I did a ton of research before coming in. I came into an industry um, that people have been in. I felt I felt like 
spirits world, um, people have been in it for a long time. It's like this like small, like insular group that you had to break into. And I didn't realize that coming in as an outsider. So um, I had to, I really had to do my homework. I had to learn everything about the production process, how it works, compliance. I got certified by the you know CRT governing body in Mexico on the production and history of tequila making. I listened to webinars. I reached out to industry veterans. I listened to podcasts. I read newsletters. I mean, I wanted to get up to speed on industry and in general, how to start a business. I knew nothing about marketing, for example. I mean, I I didn't know how to use social media. I I did a one-on-one like uh, tutorial with someone to show me how to use like Instagram and things like that. So I would say there's just no getting around doing the hard work and it's very time consuming. Um, And that would be the first like test of can, do you really want to do this? Because it's going to require a lot, a lot of time and effort. Right. Um, And then the second part, I would say is no matter how much due diligence you do on your own, I think, especially as a solo entrepreneur, you need a support system. So for me, it was about building a community um, and a community of, especially of women who are like collaborative and supportive. I came in, my last job was CEO of my home. I did not have a big network of people, um, you know, great friends, really supportive friends, but you know, no business contacts. And it required me building it like step-by-step reaching out, um, joining, like I looked beyond just the spirits world. I joined like, and found people in the spirits world, but then I looked at the bigger CPG world to learn from them. And then I looked even wider than that. It just like great women's organizations of female founders. I've connected, you know, with so many female founders and leaders now who have helped me provide guidance, feedback. I collaborate with them. You know, I support their businesses. Um, but I think you need to do that part of it too, and really build um, a community behind you because, you know, one, it's it's a lonely endeavor and two, you need people, you know, to bounce ideas off of and to kind of be cheerleaders or even when you're like, looking for something. I, okay, where can I find, you know, a social media agency? And then I have a whole network of people that I can reach out to that can give me suggestions. Yeah. And hopefully now I've done a lot of that legwork that they asked me because they right. know I interviewed, you know, 25 PR agencies and narrowed it down and I can give them some advice. Right, right. Yeah. And I think that's what's great about as you grow that network and that community is at the beginning, you might be asking a lot. But then later on, you're able to give back and and kind of then pay it forward to other people as they come in. Um, and I, I love that. I'm a I'm a big believer of having that community and that support system. I think those are great pieces of advice. Is there anything that you learned from your time at McDonald's that you apply into the spirits world? I honestly think because what I learned there was like um, looking at like really customer insights and really focusing on like what drives the customer. Um, and speaks to them. I think probably my legal career is where I learned more that I apply and not just compliance, but like, and it's funny because people kind of don't see the, well, where's, you know, going from law to like starting a company. And I actually think there are a lot of skills that I honed there, right? Like efficiency, um, as far as work ethic, I mean, I was at the largest law firm in Chicago. I knew how to work really hard. I knew to be right. really efficient with my time, really efficient with other people's time. 
give feedback really directly and succinctly. Um, writing skills. I think that's something that we overlook often and it's really critical. I mean, I don't know how many times I'm writing pitches, blog posts, social media posts, email, newsletter, like there's a lot of writing that goes into it. So I do think there are a lot of skills that I refined as a lawyer that really help. I mean, strategy, analytical thinking. Um, and actually, as a stay-at-home mom also, I, I think there are a lot of things that I learned that I'm better at and better at running a business at because of that. I mean, I had preemie twins. I can multitask like the best of them. Um, flexibility with kids, like no day ever goes as planned. So when you talk about all the hurdles and things I had to, you know, get through, well, I, I'm a good problem solver because of that. Like, and constantly problem solving, you know, whatever's going on with my children, it's the same here. There's always something where I'm coming up with a plan B and maybe a plan C. Um, so I think all of those things really helped build my skill set, um, that, you know, I use to start a business. And, and honestly, I think most important is that you want to continue to learn. I like to say I'm a learn it all and not a know it all. I'm learning something new every single day. Yep. Absolutely. I love that. Um, I love that you, uh, there's things from each step of your career and your life that you apply into what you're doing now. Um, and we talked a little bit about work-life blend and early when I started this show, man, over 10 years ago, um, a lot of it came was because of uh, Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek and, and the idea of lifestyle design. So I, I like to ask this question. And if you, you, you said you listened to a few shows, so you probably know, I usually end the show with, because life isn't just about building businesses, it's about having experiences and living your life. What's one item on your personal non-work, your personal bucket list that you're going to accomplish in the next 12 months? Oh gosh, on my personal bucket list, I think for me, it's all about spending more time with family. So I want to carve out more time. Um, I obviously see my children, but more like quality time, not just quantity. So trips, family trips, and also with the, you know, parents, um, things like that. My, my yeah. in-laws, my parents just carving out and finding more time on a, on a more consistent basis. That would be my goal. I love that. Um, so I've really enjoyed getting to know more about, uh, Inspiro tequila and everything that you are creating. It sounds um, like you're doing really great things. And as, uh, all of us here at the biz ninja community, we, we wish you tons of success and to all of my business ninjas, wherever you're listening, please go check out Inspiro Tequila on Instagram or on at our website. And remember, it's your turn to go out and do something. Thank you for tuning in to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. What you didn't hear was one more very important question that Tyler asks each guest. If you want to be a fly on the wall when the real secrets are shared, go to bizninja.com slash VIP and get your access today. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And our one last favor, if this episode was meaningful to you, please share this podcast with a fellow entrepreneur so they can grow along with us. Biz Ninjas, it's your turn to go out and do something.